Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 39 of the Butters Podcast. This is my conversation with DJ, actor, filmmaker, and creative David Allen. Thank you to the peeps at 91RO, which is the Garage Project Taproom, for, as always, such an amazing space to have a conversation. Uh, For those of you who love a good crafty, Dave had the Hard Knocks Hazy IPA, and I had the Ghost Light Hazy IPA, both super delicious drinks. This conversation is made possible thanks to my patrons, and if you're keen to support the podcast as well, jump onto patreon.com forward slash butters, and you can sign up there as a patron. But thank you again for tuning into episode 39 of the Butters Podcast, my conversation with David Allen. Enjoy. just had the craziest burger of my entire life you know and and so I went I was gonna go to Eakin Burger but they were close so oh, okay. then I was I walked across the street to laundry when I wanted I wandered across I looked over and I saw dirty burger and I was like fuck I wanted a burger that's it boom I'm going yeah walked in looked at the menu I was like yeah all right and then I looked at the guy and I was like what's your favorite burger and it's like unanimously all three of us it's it's the double bacon peanut butter burger with sriracha and adding jalapenos right, right. I was like done do it yeah. I'm in I want to know yeah most crazy experience of a burger I've ever had in my life how was the, pe- the peanut butter with the, the pickles and everything it actually was good it's not it's not your typical go to kind of like what you think in your mind burger yeah, right yeah, the yeah. peanut butter adds, it kind of takes you left field yeah then you got the maple bacon and so maple bacon double maple bacon you know and with cheese right and then they say add sriracha with jalapenos to break up the sweetness and the peanut butter and it was like it was dripping peanut butter and sriracha to the thing i was like man i gotta lap this up it's like how do you how do you maintain this burger yeah it's it's unmaintainable how do you maintain this burger And it's it's kind of like that that scene from Pulp Fiction. It's just like now that's a tasty burger. Oh yeah. What does a Kahuna burger taste like? Well, now that is a tasty burger. <laughs> is a tasty burger. Um, that's cool. Yeah, I yeah. like how you ask for recommendations. I always think that's that's cool. If you if you're always open to a recommendation, you walk in, you kind of what do you recommend? Someone's like, I recommend this, and you're like. Well, you think about it. The people who work there eat there every day, yeah. right? They get a free meal every day. So what are they doing? They're trying all the stuff on the menu. Yeah. And if it's a unanimous decision amongst everybody that works there that this is the best burger, well, then it's like you're stupid not to try this burger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or you're afraid. Yeah. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. I've never been afraid, so. Yeah. 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 Certain things do stick your nose up. Like I was in Thailand and I walked through the markets where you see all the bugs. And it's oh, just like, yeah. oh. Can you do it? Can you eat a fried tarantula? <laughs> and did you do it? Did uh, no. You? No. No. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I guess a little bit. A little bit. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Was it fear or was it? Yeah, I guess it is fear. Yeah. Stands in the way of an experience. Yeah, but for a Westerner, I guess that's quite a big jump. You know, you, you go down and you see the, the um, scorpions on a stick. And it's like, you just... I don't know if I could do that. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. or like, have you ever seen the video? There's a YouTube video of a lady 
eating a live baby octopus. Oh, gross. Yeah, she oh, shoves no, no. it She shoves it in her mouth and the tentacles are trying to get out while she's shoving it in her mouth. And I'm like, what are you up to? <laughs> Where was she doing that? What country? In Japan. Oh, in Japan. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 So, who knows? Because there are a lot of countries that serve food fresh, like freshly killed, or a lot of it can also be alive. Yeah. Yeah. Like monkey brains? Could you do monkey brains? No. <laughs> that's a, that, that's like a, a top delicacy, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Chilled monkey brains. I think I had something at uh, Hippopotamus uh, here in Wellington, which was something brain or sheep's balls or something. I can't well, they, I think they call it sweetbreads. It's cow brains or, or sheep brains or any of that. It's okay. called sweet brains. You know, I had an Argentinian chef in San Francisco, and he used to come and cook at the little club that we had on the side. And when he would do that, it would be all the high-end people, and he'd cook all these exotic stuff. Yeah. And I was just like, whoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And it was good. You wouldn't think about it, but it's rich. Like, brains are rich. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I imagine, yeah. yeah. Have you ever had uh, Rocky Mountain oysters? I uh, don't think so. No? Do you know what they are? No. Fried sheep balls. Okay. <laughs> That's what I had at Hippopotamus, I don't know. Yeah, well, like, when I was growing up, we used to have these things called uh, boiled, cra- like, crawfish boils, right? So right. you'd have freshwater crawfish right. boiled on a, on a table, lots of them, right? And so it was like my dad's company would do, like, a festival of it for the company. And I was, like, maybe eight, seven or eight, you know, and these guys were having these fried Rocky Mountain oysters, and they were laughing their asses off that I was lapping them up. I was like, these are so good. And I was coming back for more, they said I laughed up, because I had no idea what I was eating. <laughs> It was sheep balls. Sheep balls. <laughs> sheep testicles. Yeah. Yeah. If you wow. put it in that context, that's not a Rocky Mountain oyster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a fucking sheep testicle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So once, so out of curiosity, once you knew they were sheep's testicles, yeah. did that completely change? Or in your mind, were you like, no, I, I, I already no. love them? <laughs> Back then, I loved them. I was in. Yeah. It tasted too good. I was just like, who cares? Yeah. Now, it'd be like, I don't know. <laughs> the mind plays tricks on you. Yeah. So yeah. someone told you what they were yeah. versus tricking you. Yeah. Well, they didn't necessarily... Well, I guess they were tricking. Yeah. So if someone crushed up the tarantula and was like, these are crunchy cookies or something, yeah. they'd be like, give me, give me a pack of ten. Yeah. If you tasted them without knowing yeah. and you liked the flavor without knowing what you're eating, yeah, yeah. that would be probably the experience. Blindfolded dinners yeah. about exotic cuisine. Yeah. You don't know what it is. Yeah. Are you open to all the options? I'm not going to tell you what they are. Are you open to all the options? Yes, please. Here's your blind. But then I feel like that would set people up thinking if it's blind tasting exotic. Yeah. Then they would potentially be like, I know it's going to be some crazy shit. Well, you do, but you just eat it anyways. Yeah. And yeah, your yeah. partner feeds you. Yeah, that would okay. be cool. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Wait, why does your partner feed you? Well, because then that's part of the trust. You know, it's you, just you trust go, all around. Yeah. Are you going to do this? Yeah, what is this? I don't know, but I'm going to feed it to you. Yeah, yeah. We each have sticks. I'm going to blindly choose a stick and put it in your mouth. Yeah. You're both blindfolded, so you don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that could be cool. It could be a good business idea. Yeah. Yeah. Could be. Yeah. 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 Wow, that's cool. Because it's like you think about all the senses, you know? So it's like when you put all the senses together, they all get kind of muddled separately. Uh-huh. <clears throat> if you take a blind man, his, his hearing is way more. Yeah, high intuitive, yeah, high yeah, sense, yeah, yeah, yeah. his taste and everything, his sense of feel. Yeah, true. You know, I had a friend recently. I went to Tapapa with her, and she said, "Yeah, I went to this blind museum. I forget where it was, but she went to a blind museum. It's all dark. You had to feel your way around." Oh, really? Yeah. So you like a blind person's world is black. They don't exist. 
sight doesn't exist. So they go around, you have to feel everything. So then the world becomes through your hands and your ears and your smell. You know? So you take away the sight, you all of a sudden smelling more. What is that? You know, then you want to feel it. Oh, what, ooh, oh gosh, what are these? Oh my God. And then the fear starts to come because you don't know what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, they're too squishy for my liking. <laughs> Oh, it's like, balls. <laughs> there, there's hair. There's hair on it. Why are there hair? Why is there hair on it? Yeah. You know. Is it is it possible for is it possible for an individual who, for example, might not be blind to work actively work at enhancing other senses like like depriving themselves of sight and different opportunities and, and like can you do that or is it a I wonder that would be I don't see why you couldn't. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. Sitting, I guess, sitting, closing your eyes and listening to the sounds around you, if you do that on a regular basis, then yeah. whether or not that would kind of help enhance, or it would just increase your appreciation for sound yeah. and not just sight, the things you see, but actually listening or not being able to hear anything or see anything, but just the smell and the sense. Have you ever noticed that when there's a really good song on that you close your eyes? Oh really? Never, you never, never you've never, you've that. never done that. Like when there's a really good song on, just close your eyes and just listen to the rhythm. And so, why do you do that? It used to, it came from DJing, right? You know, like when I when I started DJing, it was just like, well, the vision doesn't matter, right? You're listening to the tracks, you're listening to the beats, you're listening to everything else. So, if there's a visual distracting the listening, I would close my eyes and I would listen to the other beats when I started, oh. and then I could hear because you have a headphone here listening to this track. Yeah. And then you have this ear listening to the speaker that's out. And so when I was out, I could hear. And it's just like, I'm just listening to the two beats. I'm not looking, I don't want to see anything. I just want to hear the beats. And then I know, without closing, like without my eyes, I'm listening to the count. And then I'm going one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and, and drop two, three, five, six. And then I know from musical rhythm that every 32 count, which is four, eight counts, is a new a new sound is right. dropped in. Right. So that's when I want to drop my track to get the tracks in rhythm. So to get both vinyl tracks or both CD, whatever they're doing, what to get them in rhythm, you drop them, and then they build and they lower, they raise and lower together. Right, right. And so then you've, you've got tracks doing things at the same, the same peaks and valleys. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you learn now it's gone one step further and I can feel it. Right. I don't even have to hear it anymore. I can feel it. I'm like, yeah, okay, here it comes. Right, right, and I just pick it up and I can drop it quick and be like, yep, sweet, we're in. So, so I imagine that would have been a natural thing for your... It sounds like it was a natural automatic thing for your body to close your eyes for me specifically to enhance the hearing so that you can do what you're there to do, which is so to... So I can separate my two ears. This ear was listening to this. This ear is listening to this. And in my head in the middle, I had to put them together. So in order to concentrate more, your body yeah, kind of like... I just, I, just, sense. I just shut off the, this sense yeah. so I could hear better. Yeah, wow. Yeah. And then I could visually see the tracks in my head without anything impairing it. So then I could see and hear the beats and the rhythms and like, oh, and then they started coming together. And I was just like, okay, cool. I got this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're really passionate about... Um, DJ, yeah, music. Oh, music, dancing, the rhythm, the feel, yeah, the experience, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, absolutely. So, how long have you been DJ? Twenty-four years. Are you serious? Twenty-four yeah. years. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. Long time. No, twenty-five years. 
Wow, okay. Started when I was 20. Wow. I'm 45. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Just love dancing. Yeah, you love dancing. I love dancing. And so... So is that why you got into it? That's why I got into it. And I remember there was... Seb Fontaine was playing at a club in San Francisco when I first moved there. And it was the first time I'd ever taken multiple enhancing substances right. in one sitting. <laughs> yeah. If we can be raw, this is yeah, the first yeah. time I, t- I took four, four, four ecstasy pills in one go, in one night. And, and it was out of control. Like, the things that happened that night, like I had a, a Chinese girl whispering Cantonese in my ear. It was the most erotic thing I'd ever heard. I was like, what the hell? I was dancing with her centrally. And I was like, this is just insane. And then like, the music that, the, that Seth Fontaine was playing was just like, I was like, I, I want to be him. Right. I want to do this for other people. I was like, I, I want to do this. It's like, this is insane. With the way this makes me feel. I want to make other people feel this. Yeah. And so I set out. When I moved to London, I started buying vinyl. I just started going to record stores and buying vinyl. Without owning turntables, without owning anything, I just started listening to music. I started buying vinyl. And so by the time I left London a year later, I had like maybe 50 vinyl that I took back with me. Did you buy them because you had an idea that you would... Oh, yeah, and then while I was in London, like, like my ex-wife at now, but at the time I just met her, yes. you know, she, all of her friends ran the biggest parties in London, some of the biggest underground parties. Right. And so we'd go back to their place, and there was always decks. And so after all the good DJs were finished, around like 3.34 in the morning, I could jump on. Right. And I could have a go. Right. And I did this over and over and over again. I'd just be there for, for a couple hours, you know, by myself messing up you could hear the, the train wreck of, of beats going all over the place I'm like ah, how do I get this what the hell's going on you know wow but that must have been quite a great feeling to be doing it in those massive places even yeah. if you didn't have an audience at that time oh it's just at their houses it wasn't even at the big clubs oh, right right yeah, yeah. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. just in the kitchen yeah. right <laughs> you know in the middle of London and so what, what better place to learn than from one of the birthplaces of underground music right wow you know yeah, it's good. Yeah, yeah. That is a, actually a great place to start. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And since then, I was doing fit modeling for this uh, Peruvian designer, and he was going to go to London, right? So I met him in San Francisco, and he was going to London to go showcase all of his stuff. So since I was his main fit model and his, and his uh, poster boy, yeah, he brought me along. And I knew some guys that were over there, and I, I, I phoned up. I was like, bro, I'm on my way. He's like, bring some records. I was like, all right. He's like, there's an underground party. I'm going to get you on the list. Done. So a guy that heard me play in San Francisco was like, boom, he got me on the list. Raining in this underground warehouse. You like crawl through a, like a crawl space to get on in there. And when you walk in, there's like 2,000 people in each room. And you're like, this is like a massive rave. You're like, what the hell is going on? I've got a set here? you got to be kidding me. And what was interesting that night was... Um, when I went to go put the records on the turntables because it was raining and somebody hadn't ground out the electricity properly, yeah. every time you touch the, the, the middle part of the needle to turn or slow down, you got a little shock. <laughs> so for an hour and a half, I was constantly getting these little shocks, touching. I was like, oh, uh, uh, fuck. Uh. <laughs> but I had 2,000 people dancing yeah, 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 to my yeah. stuff in this underground rave. I was just like, this is tick off a box yeah you know what I mean you must have made it more of a memorable experience as well yeah, with all those because you know, it was like a physical shock therapy like, now every time I get shocked I'm like oh, oh no I'm here okay <laughs> wow <laughs> wow wow that's amazing yeah 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 like my, my 20s was a wild time you know I was just like I left home at 20 to be an actor moved to LA 
Right. You know, and I remember like, getting back to the music thing. Like yeah. you remember certain things in certain periods in time in your life, Absolutely. right? My dad and I had a massive fight right before I was going to move to LA. Right, we had this massive blowout fight in the in the, in the garage, right? Because I had my car parked in his spot because I was fixing the alternator, so then I could take it and go. Yeah. And it it got so physical and just so raucous that I punched the side of my car, burst open the side of my hand, my hand. I still have stitches right here. And so at that point, my dad was like, he saw that, he saw the blood, he saw everything, and he, we were just like both raw at each other. I was 20, and he was, you know, he was him. And at that point, he's just like, he's like, he just stopped everything. He's like, all right, all right, this has gotten out of control. He's like, here's my credit card. Why don't you go to the hospital? Get your hand taken care of. Then go take your car to the uh, mechanics and get it fixed properly. And then he took a week off of work, and he drove me to L.A. Wow. Yeah. And so when we left at sunrise, on my radio, and I get goosebumps every time I think about this, you too, the streets have no names, came on. Really? And I was like, and this is where I'm going. Yeah, yeah, I'm going yeah. to a place where the streets have no names because I have no idea where I'm going. Yeah. I'm going to LA to be an actor. Sweet. That's all I knew. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I never looked what back. What a fitting song. <laughs> yeah, and I know. What an awesome song. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so every time that comes on the, anytime that comes on the radio, I get transported back to a 1984 Chevy Impala with my dad, leaving at sunrise, Corpus Christi, Texas, to LA. <laughs> Like I'm yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, these are like these little memorable moments, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the music. It, it, music is always music tied in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so I remember like, and after that, the next song that that's really memorable is the um, "Around the World" from Daft Punk. So the next year, I was living in Milan, Italy, and I was over there modeling, right? And I remember on a dance floor in the middle of Milan, Italy, smoking smoking some weed off a pipe. Daft Punk comes on and I'm like whoa what is this yeah. and for now forever when you hear that song takes you right back takes me right back to yeah. Milan Italy on a dance floor you know yeah music's very powerful in that regard it right. is yeah. it is yeah 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 and I guess every I guess everyone has that it's like the smell or the taste of something takes you right back to exactly music as well. yeah 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 yeah, there's this pizza that we always used to get after bowling on on a Tuesday night in Wichita, Kansas, right? It was Nola's Pizza. Still the best pizza I've ever had in my life. So what is it, Nola's? Nola's Pizza, Nola's. yeah. And it was on the on the opposite side of town, you know, like the other side of the tracks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's where the bowling alley you like to go to, you know. And it was good because both of my parents introduced us to multicultural things on a regular basis, you know, so we weren't all white. We weren't in all white suburbia. He would take us to the other side where there was, I would be playing with black kids while he was bowling. You know what I mean? And coming from Louisiana, where my mom's parents were not racist by hate, but racist by conditioning, okay. right? Where blacks live on the other side of the tracks. You, you know, they clean your house, they do your yard. You know, that's what, that's what they do. Yeah. You know, they, you don't date blacks. You know, when I was 10, my cousin from Boston, from New Orleans, right? He went to university in Boston, and he came home with a black girlfriend one Christmas. She was hot. I was like, she's cool. My, my Grammy didn't come. I didn't understand. There was letters written. There was also it was like a big debacle. And I was like, this is weird. You know? So racism by conditioning. Yeah. You know, it's not a hatred. It's just, it's just, that's just not what you do. Right. You know, and, and Bunky, Louisiana, where they're from. You ever seen the movie 12 Years a Slave? Yeah. Yeah, well, that happened where their house is. Oh, right, okay. And so my uncle's first wife was adopted into the family that first bought that slave, uh, Northrop. Right? So Benedict Cumberbatch's character, I played at that house as a kid growing up. Wow. Every time we'd go visit my Grammy and Bunky, we'd go there. It was just outside of Lafayette. Right. Wow. 
wow. Yeah. Interesting. You know, but like since then, my mom's raised us differently. I've had black girlfriends. You know, I don't, I don't see, we don't see the difference as, as, as the kids. But you know, it takes, I guess, phasing out those parts of um, your heritage. You know, like parts of you have to like each generation phases out another phase yeah, to yeah, yeah, to yeah. shift and change yeah. who we are. Yeah. So You're in a different area of the world, and there's different ideas and conditioning there. So you kind of you accept that, and then those that are born and raised in that area have less to. Yeah. yeah. You know, like if you go to London, or you like well, and one way I've always looked at life like that, you know, and is traveling the world. And if you travel the world and you go to cities into the country, right, you kind of realize that it doesn't matter what part of the world you're in, city folk are city folk, country folk are country folk, right? You can be in Africa or you can be somewhere else. They still act the same. You know what I mean? Like city folk are more conditioned to multiple things going on where country folk are a bit more, oh, wow, that's different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, what, 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 what did you do? Wow. You know, if you go to the city, it's like, oh, yeah, if you go down two blocks of 7th and Ave or whatever, you know, you can get two of those stores over there. Where the country people are like, you can get a what? <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. And you, you probably find more racism in rural areas versus city areas, right? City areas might be because of congested kind of feelings, whereas in the other parts, it's just like, well, no, it, they're not around here. Maybe I'm completely wrong, but this is just from my overall experience of seeing things. Yeah. I guess you've lived in quite a few places as well, in different countries, so you probably have a good point of comparison of what you've seen and experienced and what you're feeling, which is actually quite fortuitous. Yeah, you know, and, and it is, it is. And if you look at like New Orleans, you know, which is back in the day of the slave trade, right? It was the, the head of the slave trade in the South, but it was also the biggest melting pot. You know what I mean? Which is very, kind of like an oxymoron almost in, in itself, you know, because, you know, the, the blacks and the, and the whites used to mingle. And there was an area in the, in the southern part of New Orleans called Storyville, right? And if there's a book, right? And these were all like the black prostitutes. There's a book with all the biggest dignitaries that used to travel to New Orleans that all signed in and gone there, right? So. And there's an area called Conga Square, which is where all the voodoo practices used to happen live, and all the Conga Square drummings and stuff. And it was like white, black, poor, rich, everybody was there watching. It was, it was kind of considered a normal. Yeah. And back in those days as well, if, if one of the rich white you know, plantation or, or rich white men got one of the black slave ladies pregnant, they'd ship him to New Orleans, educate the kids. Pay for them separate. Keep it hush hush. Just get them over there and pay for them, and there you go. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Isn't it? Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. But but then you also have this extreme racism. You know, you you look at um, Django Unchained. Yeah. That's such a brilliant film. It's dark, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, but that main character, he's so great. Oh, this is Django. He's a free man. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> you must treat him as a free man. And everybody was like, oh, there's no fancy clothes on. What you doing over there? Huh? Damn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
But and I guess that even goes back to circus, like cycling it back to music, right? I was raised going to New Orleans all the time, right? So all that jazz on the streets, all the trumpets, all the the, the trombones, saxophones, you know, all that stuff, all that brass, all that sound was already being ingrained in me, you know. So every time I go back to the United States, my family lives in Texas, you know. I, I go to New Orleans first to see that family. That's my heart. My heart and soul lives in New Orleans, right? That that rich cultural kind of place of food, music, and and just melting pot, you know. So I have to go there first to go feed my soul. Then I can go back to see the family. And then I go back to New Orleans before I leave. <laughs> and that's why I keep on telling my family, like, man, why don't you guys just meet me in New Orleans? <laughs> you know, be, be a much better thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So are you from Texas originally? Born in Louisiana. Oh, okay. Yeah, and then we, we, we lived in Wichita, Kansas from the age of uh, three until 13, uh-huh. and then moved down to South Texas, okay. Corpus Christi, Texas, you know, which is on the Gulf of Mexico. Okay, okay. So yeah. then I, I was raised there from 13 until I was 20. Okay. So that was like junior high and high school, right. first year of university. And then you went to San LA. Francisco? Oh, to LA. LA. Yeah. LA to Milan, Italy. Milan, Italy to San Francisco. And then landed in San Francisco for 10 years. And But every three years, it felt like I up and left and went somewhere. So three years in, I decided that acting was what I wanted to do professionally. So I went back to university to get a degree in acting. And then one of my scene partners didn't show up, so the student teacher stepped in. And the scene went on fire. It was Rosencrantz and Gilderstein are, are dead. And it was a tennis match on words. And the, it was just it, like the scene was just so on fire that I was just like, where did you study? To the student teacher. He's like, oh, over in London. And I was like... I have to go to London. Right. I have to go study in London. Right. So I did. I up and left. Went to London. Wow. And, and then, and, and when did you come to Wellington? Well, London? so yeah, so rewind one step before that. So when I was in Corpus Christi when I was 19, I was busboy at a restaurant. And there was this Irish guy sitting at the bar. And I was sweeping up and I was like, hey bro, you know, we're about to close up. You know, what are you up to? He's out. Told me his quick little story, you know, he met this girl last year, so he came back to see her again and now she's ditching him off and he's kinda of feels stuck and I was like, Alright bro, you stay there. I'll be done in about fifteen minutes. Alright, boom. Told my boss he's with me. Yeah, yeah. After that I had a joint in my car, we smoked a joint, I took him to like a South Texas Mexican strip club. <laughs> and then him and I just hung out the rest of the week. We had a great time. And so every year from that point on, he every every year he had his holiday, like week long holiday, he would come visit me. Oh wow. And so and no matter where in the world I was, he would come visit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then at like six years in, you know, when I was like twenty four it was, or five years in, um, he was in San Francisco, his mom was there, and my parents just happened to be there, so we all got to meet. Oh, wow. It was a crazy little experience, and yeah, he's yeah. like, you have to come to Ireland and let me repay, you know, repay the favor. Yeah. And so him and I walked into STA Travel right then and there, just bought a plane ticket, and I was like, sweet, I'm coming in June, I'll see you in a couple months. And then along that way, because I'm half Irish, so uh, Tipperary and Cork, and so I had to go see all that. He was from Bangor, Northern Ireland, so I got to see the whole area, went on a whole, like, Ireland tour, and I ended up having a one-night stand in the north of Ireland, high in ecstasy. I met New Zealand's kickboxing champion, (laughs) Randall, and her and I used to have, like, a one-night stand on, on the beach up there, and she was living in Dublin, so then on my way back through, I ended up going to Dublin, right? But on the way there, I got the flu, like a really bad case of the flu, where I was supposed to be going to Cork, got on the wrong train, landed in Limerick, 
and that's like apparently the the Ireland's stabbing capital. And so I basically made it across the street to the train station hotel, sweat out a flu for a couple of days, and then got back on a train, went to Dublin, and just was didn't want to have a bar with anybody. You know, she was wanting to get it on again. I was like, no, 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 I'm just I'm just sick. And she had this roommate, Russell. Right, the, tw he was. I was 24. He's 22, and I have a little brother named Russell. Same thing, 22. And so him and I became like good buddies. It's like right away, and I was like, oh sweet, lifesaver, you know. But I was still sweating out the flu, and so pretty much our days were spent pub hopping, getting hot toddies. All right, yeah. You know what I mean? And skateboarding through Dublin. Yeah. And when I went to go leave, he was just like, hey, there's a place in London you need to go. It's full of Kiwis. Go over there, and it was all New Zealanders. So I was just looped into the whole New Zealand network. And my ex-wife was there. Uh, right, so right. when I showed up, all the girls were like, hey, you got to come over, Selena. Russell sent us a package. And then that was it. And then I, and I was only supposed to stay a week. I ended up staying three weeks to get to be with her. Right. Yeah. yeah. And while I was there, I was looking at schools. Like, that was my whole purpose of going to yeah, London yeah, was yeah, to yeah. go look at acting schools. Yeah. And so I ended up finding one, got a scholarship to one, moved, moved over there like two months later. And that was that. Yeah, wow. And then we ended up chasing each other back and forth around the world. And so she came to San Francisco for like seven years, and uh, we ended up having our first kid. And then was like, you know, my acting career is plateauing in San Francisco. I have to go back to L.A. or somewhere else. Yeah. She goes, why not Sydney or somewhere else near New Zealand where my family is? Yeah, yeah. I was like, why not? And when we landed here, av the first Avatar was casting. Right. So I got a, a small role in that, right, doing right, being a military right. trooper. Right. Yeah. It's good. Yeah, so yeah, I've yeah. been here 14 years. Yeah. 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 Wow. And that's flown by. Well, yeah. It feels like that's for me. Well. Because yeah. I would have met you about like a, a year yeah, or so yeah. after you were. Yeah. yeah. No, even right when I landed. Because oh, really? we were doing all that modeling stuff. Yeah. All the runway stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So what was that? The uh, Massey University stuff? Yeah. The Walk on Walk on Earth or something. Yeah. Yeah. 2007, I think. Maybe? Yeah. 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 That's when I first moved here. Really? Wow. Yeah. yeah. So I've known you since I first moved here. Wow. You, Gabriel, Lafer. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Crazy. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> That's a lot of places and a lot of experiences. Yeah. Even before you got here. That's actually quite amazing. Yeah. yeah. You know, it was funny because my best friend in Texas, I'd always pick up a painful, like a, a payphone and call him Collect, wherever I was. And he's like, dude, where are you now? It's like, I'm getting on a plane to London. What? Yeah, and I'm getting on a plane to Milan. What? Yeah, I'm getting on a plane to New York. What? Yeah. <laughs> he's like, he's like, I just live vicariously through your adventures. He's like, every time you call me, you'd be somewhere else in the world. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was like, yeah, bro. <laughs> I love that. That's really cool. Yeah. And he'd always answer my collect calls because the poor, poor traveling, you know, vagabond, you know, trying to figure out life, just being like, no, I gotta go this way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Don't know how long I'll be there. Yeah. I'll figure it out when I get there. <laughs> Our next conversation should be me. You should call me collect sometime. <laughs> I'll have my mic with me. And then I'll be like, where are you? And you'll be like, I'm in Africa. Yeah. <laughs> I, I literally just landed in the middle of the bush. 